All right, hello everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society, where we discuss challenging cases, interesting hot topics, and many other areas relevant to our field. Before we start, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, and please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more. My name is David Werho, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. I'm also a member of the PCICS Connections Committee. Today, I have the opportunity to interview Jesse Davidson from Children's Hospital of Colorado. At PCICS in 2018, he presented his work talking about alkaline phosphatase infusion in infant piglet models of cardiopulmonary bypass with deep hypothermic circulatory arrest. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So tell me how you came up with this idea for this project. So I have to count myself as very fortunate. I have a tremendous uh, support system at Children's Hospital of Colorado, including great surgical support. Um, and the way this began, I was interested in alkaline phosphatase as a biomarker uh, of uh, poor outcomes and potentially kidney injury after cardiopulmonary bypass in kids. Uh, we had noticed that uh, consistently all of our kids, especially neonates and infants who go through cardiac surgery, uh, have severe depletion of their alkaline phosphatase, uh, serum alkaline phosphatase, um, for several days after surgery. And the lower it goes and the longer it stays low, the worse those kids seem to do. Um, So then the story comes that I was presenting those data at a conference, and I thought I was in very friendly territory. I had my chief surgeon as the moderator of the panel, and uh, finished presenting my data, and uh, my chief surgeon stands up to give the first question and says, well, that's great, uh, but it's not worth anything unless you have an animal model. But when you have good support, you can go to your chief surgeon and say, all right, help me build an animal model, and we'll, and we'll test this for real. Uh, and he was uh, set. So Dr. Jim Jaggers uh, and I uh, set up this model from scratch. There wasn't a bypass model on campus. Uh, one of the things we elected to do was make a model that uh, would be somewhat surgeon-independent. Surgeon so you could have an intensivist, a, a veterinarian, a, uh, even a fellow uh, do the model from start to finish without needing specific surgical expertise. Um, and so it took us uh, three pigs to get teach us the model, and then another four or five to get everything set. And then we had a model of multi-organ injury post-cardiopulmonary uh, bypass with circulatory arrest, uh, which we can really test anything. And the first thing we wanted to do was test alkaline phosphatase. This molecule is being developed uh, in the Netherlands for uh, kidney injury after sepsis and kidney injury after cardiopulmonary bypass. Uh, we had access to uh, one of the at least first generations of that drug, um, and we wanted to test it. Uh, and this is the results from that project. And then there'll be many things that come beyond that. And can you explain to me sort of what is the the biological mm-hmm. background, or sure. what? It, why does this happen? Why does this happen? You bet. So, still a lot to be determined. Alkaline phosphatase is a molecule almost anybody who does critical care is familiar with. It's part of your liver function panel at most institutions. Um, But it's generally speaking been just purely used as a biomarker. Um, And that can be either of bone disease or liver disease. Those are the two major isoforms that uh, you find in serum. Um, So 
if you have uh, adult medicine, you have an obstructed uh, biliary tree, you'll tend to get a rise in your alkaline phosphatase. If you have bony metastases in, in cancer, you'll tend to get a rise in your alkaline phosphatase. Um, but its actual function has not really been well understood. And on, it's one of the most conserved molecules you'll find. Everything from bacteria to man has alkaline phosphatase. Uh, and to be that conserved, you figure it has to be doing something important or we would have long ago gotten rid of it. Um, so we probably are only scratching the surface of what it's capable of doing. It has a lot of different targets. The two we're interested in, the first one is well known to, um, to most people doing critical care, and that's endotoxin. Um, so there are two phosphate groups on most endotoxin. If you, if you remove one, make it a monophosphate product, it's much less potent um, uh, in terms of its reactivity with, with uh, the human host. Um, the second molecule, which may be the more interesting one, um, so all of our cells are powered by um, adenosine triphosphate and its uh, um, lower phosphate-containing uh, cousins of ADP, AMP, uh, all the way down to adenosine, which is where you've taken all the phosphate groups off. That's supposed to be an internal um, substance to cells. It's not supposed to be floating around in the, in the bloodstream, but when you have cells that are either apoptotic or necrotic, you will release intracellular contents. Extracellular ATP, ADP, AMP are incredibly toxic molecules, um, everything from prothrombotic to uh, vasoconstrictive and a whole host of other things that they do, uh, generally speaking, worsen reactive oxygen species in ischemia, reperfusion injury, etc. So uh, alkaline phosphatase has the ability to uh, cleave the phosphate groups off of ATP and bring it to adenosine. And generally speaking, adenosine has the opposite effects of all of those phosphate-containing uh, adenine nucleotides. So uh, the thought was that alkaline phosphatase um, would help clear some of those molecules and then create more adenosine and create a more favorable signaling pathway. All of its effects on various organs is one of the things we're still trying to figure out. Uh, but the, there's more data on the kidneys than, than the other organs. And so it was one of our major focuses in uh, this first group of animals, um, although we also are looking at intestines and lung and, and uh, uh, sort of multi-system approach. And it only works extracellularly, or, or we, do we know that? Um, so it will work anywhere where it is. Uh, the, we haven't uh, yet quantified how much gets into cells versus how much gets into tissue. This is a, this round of animals is actually the first time we've even been able to get tissue um, and measure the alkaline phosphatase activity in the homogenized tissue. Uh, then ne a reasonable next step to figure out whether it's uh, going all the way into the cells or whether it's remaining sort of extracellular in that, um, in that tissue. So talk to me about what you did with the piglets. You obviously you created the model and then um, tell me about this specific project. Yes. So this specific project, we go through a neck cannulation. That's what makes it feasible for an intensivist. Pigs have a big external jugular and then an internal carotid, so we cannulate there. We use the bypass circuit to cool them down to about 22 degrees centigrade and then go through a phase of circulatory arrest where we shut, shut the flow off on the pump, uh, let them go for 75 minutes. This is a model that one of my colleagues, John Keir at Boston Children's, has uh, sort of dialed in how much, how much is the right amount of circulatory arrest and uh, sharing that data was very collaborative and helpful for, to get us on the path, right path fairly quickly. Um, after 75 minutes of complete circulatory rest, you then use the bypass circuit to warm, warm the pig up um, and get them to 36 degrees, and then they can uniformly come off the, off the bypass circuit. Some of them take one or two tries coming off the bypass circuit, but they, they get there eventually. We then survive them for four hours, and that's the basic model. That produces, uh, again, multi-organ injury, 
pretty good and representative kidney injury, not complete necrosis of the kidney, so not too much, um, but you see a lot of thinning of the proximal tubules, uh, a lot of blebbing, which indicates sort of cytoplasmic loss in those cells, um, sloughing of the brush border, and it's it's heterogeneous, so you'll have patches of, of relatively healthy-looking tissue and then and, and wide stretches of unhealthy-looking tissue. Um, in terms of the therapy, this was a American Heart Association Department of Defense funded uh, project. We started with a bovine intestinal alkafos version. That's the one that was initially trialed in the Netherlands. It has a very nice feature in that it is chewed up fairly quickly. So if you, once you turn it off, it's pretty much gone after 10 or 15 minutes. Um, so we had to give it as continuous infusion, start with a bolus before going on bypass and then run it continuously uh, through to euthanasia tried three different dose levels. Uh, it turns out the first two dose levels don't really change your uh, alkafos content either in the serum or at the kidney level, uh, but as you get to the higher dose uh, content, which is not terribly surprising because that's where the Netherlands group got, got it to, you do start to see both uh, a marked increase in serum concentration and a, and a delivery to the kidney. And so then we compared those groups to each other and to a group of animals who just underwent anesthesia only to see what the kidney injury looked like. And as you get to uh, microscopic examination histology scores, if you just if you never went through bypass, you just had anesthesia, your kidneys look great. If you had um, either the bypass model or the bypass model with one of the lower doses of alkaline phosphatase, again the kidney injury is heterogeneous, but you generally get a moderate kidney injury on average, and that's either by direct histology examination or staining uh, by NGAL. And then if you get the high dose of ALKFOS, only one of the pigs showed any injury at all. The others uh, looked pretty pristine. So, And they didn't show the NGAL staining, which we thought was very, very interesting. So definitely a pilot study. It's not, it's not large enough to be 100% sure statistically whether that's a difference. Clear next step is now that we've identified the right dose, we think of what we've done as sort of a phase one human trial, getting the right dose dialed in, making sure it's generally safe, doesn't cause cardiac arrest by giving the drug, et cetera, or big allergic reactions. And now it's time to do a much larger powered study in, the, in, those, in those animals with the right dose and maybe one dose higher um, to assess the effects and to get a little bit more at the mechanism to understand whether the extracellular adenonucleotide levels are changing in the, in the kidney tissue itself. And because I don't know, what are some possible potential adverse effects of an alkaline phosphatase infusion? Sure. Um, well, even along the basic mechanism, if you have too much adenosine, you can be too vasodilated, heart rate can slow too much. Uh, we did not see that in a small number of pigs, but again, that's not a big enough number to be uh, confident to go straight to a, a trial in kids. So part of the next step will be more safety monitoring from that standpoint. Uh, looking at the other organs uh, as well to make sure they're at least not adversely affected, and that seems to be the case. Uh, we do think there's probably some decrease in inflammation in the lungs that goes along with this. Harder to tell in the intestines. The intestines seem to be very hard to characterize overall. And then with the next step, we're gonna, we have heart tissue from these animals as well, so we'll uh, be looking at them. Uh, and liver as well. So sort of multi-organ examination would be the first thing. And then as we get more towards surviving the pigs all the way through the, the ICU period, we'll look more at how they develop in terms of their clinical characteristics. This is, four hours is pretty early. You don't see a tremendous divergence yet of the clinical phenotype. Um, as anyone who does ICU medicine will know, sort of six, eight, 12 hours is when your, your kids start to get really sick. We assume it's going to be the same with the pigs once we let them go a little longer. And does this molecule cross the blood-brain barrier? Um, that's an excellent question. We believe so, but we, ha we do have some brain tissue. We haven't tested it yet. 
well, this is really interesting work, and I'm really excited to see sort of the future of it and how it eventually will hopefully translate to clinical medicine at the bedside. Thank you. I would I would say the only other thing that that I think is really interesting is I I would love to see more uh, large animal translational models move into um, pediatric care. I think most of us would recognize that we can't be wholly reliant on adult studies translating correctly into pediatrics. We either need to be testing those in pediatric animals or uh, developing our own our own therapies. And so I think um, as we move more away from small uh, small animal models and into things that can really translate both safety and efficacy into, into kids, I think we'll hopefully stimulate the pediatric population to look for pediatric-specific therapies that might be out there. Um, like I said, I know that John Kerr in Boston is doing similar things with hydrogen gas and, and brain injury. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity and a, an expanding field, and there's so much science that can be done on the pediatric spectrum that we really haven't had the chance to do much before. So I encourage people to uh, not be scared of, of moving into large animal modeling. It is learnable, as, as we found out. It is fundable. Um, and a model like this, I'd be happy to share how we do it because it is one you could set up with just pediatric intensive care specialty uh, at any institution. Well, I want to thank Jesse Davidson for joining us on the podcast. It was really great to hear about your project and all the potential future applications that we might use this for. Thank you very much. It was, it was great to get to share our research with the Pixis community, and we look forward to bringing more of our science here in future years. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to look for other episodes on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or subscribe to get all the latest episodes as they're released. Once again, find out more at our website, pcics.org. The song I Don't Know by Grapes will be used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution.